What's up everybody? Gen X Dividend Investor here. If you're new to my channel, then welcome. I'm in my 40s and am a self-made multimillionaire who's been investing in the markets for over 25 years. Watch my How to Become a Millionaire video if you want to learn how I made my money and shows you how you can as well. Or watch the Time I Sold All My Stocks video if you want to hear valuable investing lessons from the most life-changing experience of my life. The goal of my channel is to inspire, educate, and entertain you with valuable investing insights as I review my $1.6 million dividend portfolio as well as a slew of other valuable content, such as in this video where I'll be answering subscriber-submitted questions mostly pertaining to dividend investing. I had multiple people ask if I could elaborate on the true life story I told in a previous video about a UPS driver who ended up with a net worth of $70 million from investing, so I'll also do that later in this video. And then I'm going to tell you another incredible story about a gas station attendant and janitor who made only $12 an hour but who invested for decades and also ended up being worth millions of dollars. So stay tuned for that story. If you'd like to ask me a question and potentially be featured in an upcoming video, then follow me on Instagram at GenXDividendInvestor and send me your questions. I had many that were submitted, so I apologize if I don't get to yours. Please be patient, or you can always jump on my Dividend Discord if you want to chat with me sooner. Also, please don't forget to like this video as a simple way you can thank me for making it. Finally, I'm not a financial advisor, so take my responses as entertainment only, not as a way to make financial decisions. The first question comes from Angel. He said, I've got a question if anyone can give me some advice on it. So I've been maxing my Roth contribution and it's towards a target date fund in BlackRock, but lately I've been reading that target date funds are not the best and can be expensive, so I was wondering if I should move it over to a different option. I have no idea on what to do. I don't have a 401k due to the employer doesn't match, so I just focus on my Roth, but any advice helps me a lot. Super novice at investing, I just don't know what to do. Big fan, I'm a subscriber by the way. Thanks Angel, I really appreciate you being a fan and a subscriber. First, I think it's great you're maximizing your Roth. The Roth is an amazing tax sheltered vehicle that I feel everyone should be maximizing if they can. In terms of target date funds, they can be great, but make sure your expense ratio is good. The expense ratio is a fee you pay for them to manage your fund. The good news is that with the increased competition out there, expense ratios have been trending down and I wouldn't be surprised if someday they're all free. Vanguard is known for having some of the least expensive management fees. I found this chart on Invisipedia which shows how much expense ratios can eat into your investment returns over time. This shows what a hypothetical $10,000 investment would do, assuming an average annualized gain of 10%, with 5 different expense ratios from 0.5% up to 2.5%. For reference, some popular Vanguard funds are only like 0.03%. So at year 20 with no fees, your investment would have grown to $67,275. However, if you had a 1% expense ratio, then you would have only grown to $56,000, which is a delta of over $11,000. And look at that 2.5% fee. Instead of $67,000, you would be at $46,000, because over $21,000 would have been eaten up by fees. This chart shows you how powerful compounding can be and how a slight delta in your year-over-year -year return can dramatically change how you do over multiple decades. So I picked a random target date fund in BlackRock, one that matures in 2040. Its expense ratio is 0.16%, which is reasonable, but not as good as something like VTI or VU. Another good thing to look at is their returns. From inception, VTI is around 8% and VU is at a crazy 13%. This target date fund I picked is decent at a little over 7%, which is roughly in line with VTI. So I think you're doing fine. I'd recommend to keep researching how to evaluate ETFs and look at what options you have at your disposal. I think one of the most important things for you will be staying consistent with your investing over decades and not having bad debt and having an emergency fund. 
Do those things and I bet you'll be sitting really pretty in a few decades, if not sooner. The next question comes from Citizen of the Year, who has a channel you should check out. I'll put a link to him in my description below. Citizen said, why do you choose to drip rather than use that money to methodically buy stocks at more attractive prices? Great question, one that I'm often asked. So my normal investing style is where I lump sum invest when prices look attractive to me. Of course, if you watch my channel, you know that lately I've just let my drip buy for me as I'm now investing my personal cash outside my dividend portfolio. So since I normally lump sum invest, I like the counterbalance of my drip continually DCAing into themselves regardless of price. The irony is that my drip is sometimes smarter than me. For example, I feel that both Apple and Microsoft have been a little bit spendy for quite some time. So if it were me, I wouldn't be investing more into them. That being said, my drip knows better apparently and has kept buying, and ironically, those positions have grown more than anything else. I get great satisfaction knowing that my shares are automatically buying more of themselves, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Heck, I could die and they would be buying more. Of course, if I actually die, there are other issues, but my point is I love how passive it is to just let your shares buy more of themselves, and that psychological satisfaction is sometimes worth more to me than anything else. Okay, the next question is from Den. He said, Hello, I have a question about two companies. They look very interesting for me, but nobody talks about these two. Have you ever heard about those? And what do you think about them? RGA and CAS. Funnily enough, a guy on my Discord server named Z Paragon was just talking about RGA this week. RGA, also known as Reinsurance Group of America, is one of the largest global life and health reinsurance companies. What is reinsurance, you ask? Well, that is when multiple insurance companies share the risk by purchasing insurance policies from one another to limit their own total loss in case of a catastrophic disaster. This ultimately helps lower exposure to a particularly large disaster. RGA has what some consider a safe dividend, though I'd personally like to see more than 11 consecutive years of dividend growth. That's still decent though. Analysts currently have it as a hold. It's got a 3.58% yield and a nice 53% payout ratio and an incredible 5-year dividend CAGR of 15.6%. Their stock movement has been weak over the last 5 years and are currently at $78, which is above their $55.52 week low and well below their $169.52 week high. Doing a quick check over the last few years, I see their quarterly EPS is trending up, which is good. Annual shares outstanding have been going sideways, which I'd rather see trending down. Assets are increasing slightly faster than liabilities, which is good, though I'd like to see a greater spread. Revenue is trending up nicely and net income is slowly trending up. Then we come to the price to free cash flow ratio. Now we normally like to invest in companies that have a higher improving free cash flow, but low share prices. Low price to free cash flow ratios usually mean the stock is undervalued and prices may go up. So I like to think that the lower the ratio, the cheaper the stock is. In this case, we see it's fairly cheap, so to speak, but is getting less so as time goes on. We see their debt is increasing, which I don't like to see, but isn't too uncommon. Of course, there's a lot more you should dig into, so I'm just giving you a sampling of things to get a flavor of it. I think overall, it looks okay. Nothing I'd personally jump into, but an option to consider. Okay, let's look at CAS now. CAS is a tech company that deals in freight audit and payment, expense management for telecom, mobility, cloud and waste, utility bill management, and integrated payment solutions. They have a nice payout ratio at 52%, a good 19 consecutive years of dividend growth, and a great 5-year dividend CAGR at 11.3%. Their PE is at 19, and their shares are at $38.50, which is above their 52-week low of $29 and below their 52-week high of $61. Their dividend yield is kind of meandering sideways and a tad down, so not really pointing to becoming more compelling. EPS is improving, which I like. Shares outstanding aren't decreasing as much as I'd like. 
Assets are slightly outpacing liabilities, which is good. Revenue is increasing, and quarterly net income is increasing. And then not too much movement in their price to free cash flow ratio, other than it's slowly moving up. Looks like they tackled their debt, which is nice. So a quick review tells me they're okay. Nothing spectacular. Okay, on to the next question. This comes from the Finn Mindset. He has a finance channel called Brad Finn you should check out. I'll put his link in my description below. Hey, bud, I'm curious about your opinion only because you have your shit together. <laughs> I'm releasing a video on cash-covered puts and calls. What are your thoughts on options? You have 100 or more shares of a ton of stuff. I feel like you could collect hundreds in premiums every week with pretty sure bet covered calls. Thanks, Brad. I blacked out a section of his question that I don't think he would want me to share. So I think covered calls can be a way to make some extra money, but I personally don't do it. I prefer the simplicity of just buy and hold. If anyone is interested in it, I recommend you research the pros and cons before you dive in. I'm fine with my little drip just going along its merry way. I've been that way for decades, and my simplistic buy and hold strategy works for me. But I think it's great you are exploring other ways to press the accelerator down carefully. Okay, the next question comes from Hidden Freedom Investing, who helps moderate my Discord, and he's a channel creator you should check out. I'll put his link down below as well. He said he's curious to know how I plan to pass my dividend portfolio onto my kids, and specifically am I worried about them receiving a chunk of change and not working hard for it, and would I put limitations in place like only allowing them a certain amount of income per year from my portfolio? That's a great question. I've seen that people who get windfalls often don't know how to manage them, and both quickly lose them and don't appreciate them. I read a stat on money.com that said that 70% of wealthy families lose their wealth by the second generation and 90% do by the third generation. They didn't specify, but I imagine they're talking about families with crazy wealth, like nine-figure wealth and beyond. In fact, in an article they said the average recipient of an inheritance takes only 19 days until they buy a new car. And you hear stories about movie stars or athletes that suddenly lose all their money once their massive income stops flowing in due to their insane lifestyle creep and poor investing choices. So what I'm trying to do is teach my kids about managing money. They each have their own custodial accounts and I'm letting them help pick their investments. I have them put 50% away of any money they get straight into their investments. That being said, I've asked my estate attorney to limit their ability to sell the principal and only be able to use the drip. So while the amount is nice, when I split it between my two kids it isn't earth shattering, or just a safety net. I myself never got an inheritance. I've never had that feeling that I had a safety net. So I'll continue to teach them how easy it is to spend money, but how hard it is to make it, and how important investing is, and how living frugally and such is important. The next question comes from Jay. He said, Dear Sir, how can I obtain a spreadsheet tracker for my own starter portfolio? Your June episode, My Most Dividends. Many thanks if you can, Jay. Thanks, Jay. I'm currently working on a big upgrade to the value of my spreadsheet delivers. My old spreadsheet is what I call version 1.0, and I released a very popular simple spreadsheet portfolio tutorial video that shows you how you can create your own. My new spreadsheet, aka 2.0, will do some pretty awesome things, blowing away what you've seen in my 1.0 version, so stay tuned for that. My plan is to offer my 2.0 spreadsheet as a free additional perk to my Patreon kings and aristocrats. I'll be doing a 2.0 video soon. I'm about to go into beta testing with my 2.0 functionality with my current Patreon aristocrats and kings that want to be beta testers. The 2.0 functionality is super cool and I can't wait to show you in a future vid or you can join and become a beta tester now if you want to be part of the team that will be testing and shaping how I evolve things going forward. Okay, the next questions come from Joseph. He asked me, do you own realty income in your taxable account? And I appreciate your knowledge. I've been buying O and Robinhood taxable account. Now I would like to follow you and start an IRA to house REIT stocks. Which IRA type do you use? Also, which brokerage do you recommend? Schwab, Fidelity, etc. Thank you. Thanks for the kind words, Joseph. 
So I hold O in tax sheltered traditional IRA accounts because I don't want to deal with the tax implications right now. When I can put money in my Roth, I do that. Otherwise, I use my traditional IRA or my taxable brokerage. In terms of what brokerage do I recommend? Well, I use E-Trade primarily and I also use M1 and actually have a referral link for M1 in my description. Sometimes M1 offers a free $10 bonus to both the person who signs up using a referral link and the person who had the link. That being said, I recently did an extensive video talking about the various brokerages out there based on a variety of research I did. So watch that video if you'd like to learn more about brokerages in 2020. The next question comes from Kevin who said, Love your content. What would be your choices for dividend ETFs if you weren't as passionate for individual stock picks? I've always been a fan of Jack Bogle and Vanguard, so I would probably just go with VTI or VU or maybe VYM or VIG. They aren't drastically different. I would consider a variety of things when looking at those four funds. If I had a longer time frame until retirement, I would probably go for the lower starting yield ETF but higher CAGR. If I wanted more dividend income now, I would go for the higher starting yield. I'll leave it up to you to explore which one makes most sense for your goals. Okay, now we have a question from Kishizen. He asked, Hey Gen X, I know you started documenting your journey for your kids. If you had $6,000 in the bank right now and wanted to build sustainable wealth, what would you do? Well, assuming I had no bad debt and I had an emergency fund and that $6,000 money I could afford to lose, I think if my kids asked me that, I would just say go into broad market, low cost Vanguard ETFs. That being said, if it were me personally, I would invest into a basket of my favorite dividend stocks, such as Microsoft, J&J, McDonald's, Pepsi, AT&T, and perhaps a few others. If I needed more income and my time frame were shorter, I'd over-index on higher starting yields. If my need for the income was further out, then I'd focus more on higher CAGRs. Okay, let's move on. This question comes from Leonard, and he asks me why I don't have ETFs in my portfolio. Great question. I personally love single stocks because I found that it excites me more and motivates me more to invest in companies I feel like I tangibly own and identify with. I feel like it's more fun to own McDonald's shares than it is for me to own a fund that has McDonald's shares, even though it's effectively similar. That being said, watch my video called The Time I Sold All My Stocks to hear about when I did go into ETFs. Okay, the next question is from Logan. He said, Hey Gen X, I hope you and your family are doing well. Been absolutely loving your videos and you've inspired me to dive much deeper into investing and researching those investments. I'm having a ton of fun learning all of it. I did have a question that I was hoping you could help me with, even though it may not be black and white as far as the answer. As a 29-year-old and a relatively long time left to invest and grow a dividend portfolio, I was wondering if it's better to have companies with solid yields, yet still safe, like AT&T's yield about 7.5%, but with a slow growth CAGR of around 2%, or is it better to get companies like Microsoft or Home Depot with low to moderate yields but very high growth? I'm sure a combo is best, just seeing if there's anything I should stay away from. Thanks in advance for all the help. Keep crushing the amazing content. Thanks, Logan. Congrats on investing at such a young age. It sounds like you're looking at quality companies, which is one of the most important things to do. I think tilting a bit towards a higher CAGR can make sense if you're young and don't need the money, though going with a combo of both can work too. In the long run, it'll probably come down to how consistently and for how long you're investing in quality. In terms of things to stay away from, I'd say stay away from super high yield stuff, because that often means really risky. Usually people who chase yield are newer investors who get burned. Okay, the next one is from LVM1980 who says, I have a question. When researching companies I'm looking to invest in, I sometimes find conflicting data depending on the site, and I'm not always sure which numbers are most accurate. On some sites, the data is incomplete, so I find myself jumping around between sites. So I was wondering what you believe are the most reliable resource out there that you could use for research, and what sites provide you with the best analysis. So I think Seeking Alpha has great data, but like almost every site out there, has data issues. 
that's just the realities of the complexities of massive amounts of data. I also like macro trends and guru focus. That being said, the penultimate source of data is often the investor relations portions of the companies you're digging into. Okay, the next question comes from Mike. He asks, would waiting for an attractive price, then lump sum investing, be the same as trying to time the market? I know everyone says you can't time the market, but isn't lump sum investing a form of timing the market? You're waiting for an attractive price, then dumping a bunch of money into the stock. Your thoughts? Thanks, Mike. I see your point. Normally, when I think of someone trying to time the market, they say things like, I'm going to wait until the next crash and then jump in. I don't hear them saying they did a discounted cash flow to value a business and they have a strike price that they're looking to jump in at. I think if you choose to constantly DCA in, or if you try to jump in with stocks on sale, both strategies can work. Buying good companies at a good price is a winning formula, but so is buying winning companies at a fair price. Okay, the next question comes from Moving Billions Group. He asked, Hey there, enjoyed your latest YouTube video. I wanted to ask your opinion on Tesla, given its industry disruption play. And are you expecting the market to crash further in Q2? Thanks for the questions. I am a Tesla bull and am long in my non-dividend portfolio. I got in at the 400s and actually thought that felt too pricey, but I believed in a long-term viability. Well, that's turned out well, as the stock has flown up. Do I expect the market to crash? No idea. It seems like it should, given what all is happening around the world but I gave up long ago trying to figure out if the market will go up or down. Instead, I just invest in quality companies and let time be on my side. Okay, now I'm going to fill you in on how Theodore Johnson, the UPS driver, managed to accrue a net worth of $70 million and the lessons you should take away from him. Then I'll tell you an even more crazy story about Ronald Reed, a gas station attendant and then janitor who ended up with millions of dollars through investing in the stock market. Theodore Johnson started as a driver at UPS and then worked his way into management. So the first lesson you can take away is to keep striving for more responsibilities at work, and when you get them, knock them out of the park to keep moving up. Once in management, Theodore took advantage of buying stock while the company was still private, so when they ended up going public, he really became wealthy. So the second lesson you can learn from Theodore is consider taking advantage of your company's various financial offerings, like their employee stock option plan, their 401k matching, maybe their HSA plans, etc. The third lesson is that he started early at investing. The fourth lesson is that he stayed consistent with his investing. He didn't stop. The fifth lesson is that he lived frugally. Don't be the person that makes more money and then raises their standard of living dramatically. Sure, treat yourself to something minor, but drive the money you can afford to lose into your investments, not into material things. And finally, the sixth lesson was he was patient. It took him decades of investing to get to where he ended up. Okay, now I'm going to tell you about Ronald Reed, who only made $12 an hour. I found out about him from JoshuaKennan.com. So Ronald started as a gas station attendant and then became a janitor working at JCPenney. For 60 years, he invested in quality companies such as Procter & Gamble, where he ended up with $365,000 of stock, Colgate-Palmolive, where he had $252,000, and Johnson & Johnson, where he ended up at $183,000. I am long in all those. He also had a slew of other companies, 95 to be exact, worth a cool $8 million, including some of my favorites like AT&T. How did he do it? Well, he would research stocks at the public library and then just buy and hold. He didn't sell. He didn't play with penny stocks or spec stocks. No, he just did the boring but extremely time-tested strategy of buying quality and holding. Holding it through wars, through recessions, through everything. And he used dollar cost averaging and kept reinvesting all his dividends. Multiple times he saw his total portfolio value drop by 50% from its peaks, but he kept moving forward. I've been down twice now about 50% from my portfolio highs, first in the dot-com crash and then in 2008, but I didn't sell, I just kept plugging away. What else can we learn from Ronald? 
Well, he only invested in businesses he understood after researching them. He didn't buy into Google. Well, Google didn't exist, but that's not my point. He only invested in things he totally understood. How else did he do it? Well, he only bought companies that paid dividends, so he could literally get a check in the mail, which he would then deposit to buy more stocks. His goal was to grow his stream of monthly passive income. Now, even though I love dividend investing, I also think it's smart to invest in quality growth companies. What else did he do? Well, like Theodore, he lived frugally. I read a story that said he would rather walk a mile than pay a parking meter. What else did Ronald do? He was patient. He treated his investments like a marathon, not a sprint. And he invested for around six decades. When he died, he left over a million dollars to charity. So a guy who was a janitor and never went to college and who just was a steady Eddie with investing became worth almost eight figures. Don't tell me you can't do it. I know you can. It'll take you time, but you can do it. Remember old Ronald Reed cleaning the floors of JCPenney and pumping gas? Imagine humble Ronald Reed researching stocks on his own in the library, quietly buying assets over the decades. Remember Ronald Reed the next time you're doubting if you can become a millionaire. As I close out, I'd like to say that these videos take a lot of time and energy for me to create, so liking my video is a great way you can thank me. Also, I highly recommend you join my free dividend Discord chat server, which is the largest in the world, and the last time I checked, we had over 3,800 dividend investors on it, and it's growing all the time. The link's in the description below if you'd like to join. Speaking of my Discord, I'd like to call out GM who recently boosted my Discord server. Finally, if you'd like to ask me a question and potentially be highlighted in my next Ask GenX video, then follow me on Instagram and DM me your question. Thanks, and I'll leave you with this quote from arguably the greatest investor of all time, Warren Buffett, who said, No matter how great the talent or efforts, some things take time. You can't produce a baby in one month by getting nine women pregnant. So what does that mean? Well, for one, it means Warren has a wild side I didn't know about. Two, it means have patience with your investing. Don't expect returns in a day or a month or even a year. If you are buying and holding quality, your time horizon probably should be decades, not days. Thanks, and I'll talk to you again real soon. I am not a financial advisor and these videos are for entertainment, inspiration, and educational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risk. I am only sharing my opinion with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments.